Thanks for listening, Unplugged Army. I'm Louis Unga, General Manager at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. We're proud to present Doug Franz Unplugged. Four minute offense. Four minute offense. Four minutes. Four minute offense. Four minute offense. Everything you need to know in sports that affects Maricopa County, the state of Arizona, and the world, you get in four minutes. Today, okay, maybe it's something you already knew, but I want to relive it. Let's go to Chase Field. Oh, yeah, why not? Diamondbacks, they beat the Dodgers. They move on. I know you already know this, but I just want to remind myself, Tori Lovello, go. Just trying to slow down the moment to enjoy it, interpret it, just just let it register a little bit because um, I don't think anybody gave us a chance to be here. I don't think anybody gave us a chance to, to win the games that we won against the teams that we had to play, and that's what I'm most proud of. Now here's the schedule for the Diamondbacks. They will have a workout today at Chase Field before they get ready to go over the weekend. They head to Philadelphia. As the reason why they're going to Philly, the other National League Division Series is now over. The Phillies beat the 100-win Atlanta Braves. That means three teams that had 100 wins are all out of the playoffs. Braves a loser by a score of 3-1 on three solo Philly homers. Trey Turner hit one of them, part of a four-for-four day, and Castellanos went three-for-three with two dingers, and that's why the Phillies advance. No games over the weekend for the National League. Now, there is an American League game. Sunday, 5-15, Texas at Houston. Then game two of the ALCS is Monday afternoon, followed by our Diamondbacks. First pitch thrown by the Phillies at 5.07 against the Diamondbacks. You'll be able to watch the whole series on TBS. The Arizona Cardinals situation. Both the Athletic and the game. Article in the Athletic that was dropped yesterday showing the workplace environment of Michael Bidwell not being a good one, especially towards female employees. On the field, it'll be the Cardinals on the road taking on L.A. Jonathan Gannon was looking at the problems of the last two weeks in which the best player on the team torched him. How does he avoid it against L.A.? Yeah, you got to make sure we put him in good positions um, and give him some tools that uh, they can defend uh, the way they need to defend to win a game. Cardinals will try to win game two of the season coming up at 125 on Sunday. Phoenix Suns in Portland last night, a winner, 122 to 111. Want to get excited about the season? Watch the last six minutes of the second quarter. Holy crap, ball movement incredible. Phoenix Suns starters, one turnover. Portland starters, 10 turnovers. Nurkic had 17 points and eight rebounds while DeAndre Ayton only had seven points and six rebounds. (laughs) Next up for the Suns, they take on Portland again. That'll be Monday night at home, 7 o'clock. U of A, the question still rolling about the quarterback situation. We'll see what happens against Washington State. 4 o'clock kickoff. Unfortunately, Pac-12 thinks anybody watches Pac-12 Network, and that's the only place to see it. 
Phoenix Rising, an enormous game. It's the last game of the season. They take on Colorado Springs on the road. If they win, they jump up to the five spot. They're locked into the sixth seed. Kickoff at five o'clock. And the NFL, I forgot. Chiefs, a winner over the Broncos. Sorry, and finally. <laughs> Try to make out what this picture is. Oh my gosh. Kind of butchered that. Have you ever heard of Gurning? <laughs> Congratulations to Javante Carver. Javante Carver of New Orleans set the new record for Gurning. Take that, Shaquan Tang of China. Shaquan Tang of China held the record for Gurning for 53 seconds. What is Gurning? The ability to lift your lower lip and put it over your nose, which blocks your ability to breathe. <laughs> Javante Carver had his upper or his lower lip over his nose for one minute and two seconds. Jackpot Unplugged Army. I feel like a true commander-in-chief to be able to give you such an unprecedented savings. Go to Unplugged at Whirlwind.com and check out the new membership club from Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Whirlwind Plus. Here's what you get. You sign up for a tee time anytime between now and five days from now, and you can save anywhere from a minimum of 30% up to 60% off plus 15% off at Civlik, the restaurant, and another 15% off in the pro shop. I'm telling you, you walk into the pro shop, get bowls, a shirt, and a hat, you walk over for happy hour with your wife, you might pay for your monthly membership right then and there. It's $34 a month, cancel anytime, or if you want to save even more, because that equals out to a little more than $400, you can get it for only $299 a year. Whirlwind Plus at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Go to unpluggedatwhirlwind.com and feel the wind. I'm Janelle, General Manager of Bell's Nashville Kitchen, a.k.a. The Whiskey Wizard. Bell's isn't your typical country bar with mediocre bar food. We are a scratch kitchen with chef-inspired dishes in the only place you can get the best sandwich in all of Arizona, our Nashville hot chicken sandwich. Now, the drinks. I spend days infusing our own whiskey creations. Come in for Whiskey Wednesdays to learn about and drink our famous whiskey selection. We have live music most days and all weekend as part of our honky-tonk brunch. Bell's Nashville Kitchen on Main Street in Old Town Scottsdale. You found home, down home. Oh, it's really nice to be back in studio when I have the realization that I forgot to set the air conditioner and it's already hot, but I got a beer in front of me, so that's fine. What else do I got? Oh, I haven't eaten my banana. I, I gotta move that off the desk. Sorry, CEO Chris. I just I just left banana peels everywhere. Ah, good morning. I started early. Good afternoon, good evening. Whatever it is that you've decided to make Doug Franz unplugged a part of your day, my family greatly appreciates it. My name is Doug Franz, and you have found the only podcast and TV show in the world totally devoted to the coverage of the four major sports franchises of one great American city that drops on your phone and television every weekday morning. We also cover ASU, U of A, GCU, the Rattlers, the Rising, and the Merck. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. I uh, I normally want a yellow banana, and this is this one's not doing that well, so I wasn't really in a hurry to eat it, and then now I left it here. So just a second. 
Every morning, breakfast of champions, a, a bagel with cream cheese, uh, a banana, usually looking better than that, and a Mountain Dew. Today has already been a two Mountain Dew day, if you're wondering. And boy, has this been earned. Amazingly well earned. Sunday put in uh, after mass somewhere around 12 hours worth of work to get ready for Monday's show. Then on Monday, had a long, long conversation with Coach Kenny Dillingham, boosters, uh, and potential sponsors, which put me way behind. Like whenever I'm working on one aspect of work, I get behind on something else. So then I got way behind. And luckily, CEO Chris, Jeff Weir Production, and Izzy on Sports, Isaiah Jackson, were amazing on Monday to carry me through uh, Tuesday morning. And they were great on Tuesday morning. Then uh, did Wednesday's show, flew to Cleveland, drove to Buffalo uh, after Wednesday's, uh, what was that? Am I right? No, after Thursday. I don't even remember my days. I really don't. So let's see. It was after Wednesday's show, yes, that I then drove to Buffalo was with Wolf uh, throughout the afternoon and evening on on Wednesday, then drove back to Cleveland. So it was three hours there, three hours back in the same day. Then I, if, you, uh, if you only watch me on WTSMTV.com, you might not know, I dropped a podcast. I did it from 1.30 to 2.30 in the morning Eastern time is when I was recording it and, and taking care of that. And drop that for anybody that listens to the audio-only version of the podcast. Slept for about an hour and a half. Then it was time to get to the airport. My wife hates that I do this. This drives her crazy. My flight left at 8 o'clock yesterday morning. So we were hoping to get a red eye so I could come back in here and do it. And that was the best we could do. So with my flight leaving at 8, I slept from... About 3.15 in the morning until uh, 6.15 in the morning. So I slept for three hours. 6.15, I get up. I shower, get dressed, and finish kind of packing, cleaning up the hotel room a little bit. And then I got out of my hotel room at 6.35. Flight leaves at 8. I'm out at 6.35. And then as I'm walking out, I didn't know it was one of those hotels with free breakfast. Like, what? So then I go... I see that like I am not turning down the hotel waffle maker. I love the waffle maker. So pour the you know batter in, make the waffle, get a couple eggs, get a couple glasses of orange juice, eat, and that. So now I'm leaving the hotel at about six fifty. Takes me about seven minutes to drive to the uh, rental car turn-in place, and then it took another ten minutes or so to get the rental car shuttle to the airport. So it's about 7:05, 7:10 when I hit security. There's only about 5 people in line in security. So I I get through security pretty quickly. What's awesome is where you put your uh phone down or slash paper ticket down uh was was not working at the Cleveland airport. So all they wanted was your ID. And the guy looked at my ID, the uh TSA agent and he says Arizona ID and a Bobcats hat because he looked. At, I had my Ohio University hat on, and I said, "Well, I'm I'm from Ohio, but uh, I you know I live I've lived in Arizona for 17 years." And he goes, "Why would you leave Cleveland?" And I was like that, and he was totally joking. And I said, "I don't want you to arrest me, but I hate Cleveland. I, I don't I don't want to be in Cleveland. I'm from Dayton." And he starts laughing, and he says, "Oh, okay." And I said, "By the way, 
Ohio has in-laws in it. I'm trying to get out of here before any of them know I'm in Ohio. And then he really thought that was funny. So make jokes with your TSA agent as long as he doesn't arrest you for it. And then, uh, luckily, the Cleveland airport is one of those where you don't have to take any of your electronics out. Because I have a microphone, a, bo- a, a broadcasting uh, podcasting board, I have a, a laptop, and I have an iPad. So, you know, at the Phoenix airport, I got to take all that out. I didn't have to take any of that out for the TSA in Cleveland. So now it's about 7.25 by the time I start walking down the terminal. They start boarding at 7.30, and right when I walk up, they're boarding zone two. I'm in zone six. No worries. Walk right into the plane. My, my wife cannot stand that. She wants to, look, We have this rule. like She wants to be there basically to sleep at the airport. I swear, we, are, we get there, and when I say get there, I mean we're sitting at the gate usually 90 minutes before the flight. It's crazy. So I have a rule with my wife. If, if I don't throw a fit or whine about how early she wants to get to the airport, she cannot question just how many beers I can drink. Because I'll just sit down at the bar next to the gate, and I'll tell the bartender, I'm here for as many beers as I can drink until this time. <laughs> then, I'll, then I'm done. That's it. So I don't, we save so much money when I fly by myself, not, not including, of course, it's just one ticket, but because we, we, that's like four airport beers and you know, like one airport beer is like 11 bucks. We save like 50 bucks, uh, every time I just fly by myself. Cause there's no time for me to stop and get a beer. I'm walking right onto the plane. I don't understand why we just sit there. Why does anybody sit there and say, Oh, this is so relaxing to sit in an uncomfortable chair for an hour and a half. I'll never get that. So I just time it out so I walk right in. So that was my week. I slept all day yesterday. I landed uh, at at about 9.30, uh, immediately went home, took about 20 minutes to unpack and pack, unpack all my equipment, stuff like that. And about 9.45, uh, no, 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 I was much later than that, about 10.30. I laid down and I woke up at seven in the afternoon, seven in the evening, and started working, watching Suns and Phillies Braves and other stuff. So it's, I'm like in certain areas I am so far ahead of where I need to be, and in other areas I'm getting crushed. I'm so far behind. So hopefully I can get a lot done this weekend. There's my life story. Hopefully you felt like hearing it, and if you didn't, thanks for still watching. If you consider me you know, terribly boring, but it's it's good to see you. A uh, Jeff Weir production has been working hard all week. Jeff, with everything you did, especially for a Wednesday morning show with me on the road, cheers, my friend. Thank you, sir. Same to you. Beer Friday! Hooray, beer! You got that right. Oh, yeah. Well, I keep thinking four peaks were going to be done with Kilt Lifter, but it's all, I have dropped the ball. I've had no time yet to go out to a. 100 mile brew 100 mile brew and uh, and finish up uh, conversations with them about possibly being a sponsor of Doug Franz Unplugged just a free plug for them because I love their A Mountain uh, Amber Ale so much but oh that's good thank you okay okay now I feel uh I feel like we're about ready uh sound credits today WTSM gets credit because I still haven't had a chance to play any of the D-back stuff from the other day when I was gone. So uh, I want to get to some of that. azcardinals.com airs every press conference in its entirety. So if you're ever interested in watching a whole press conference, if you're a Cardinals fan, 
go for it there. I watch all of them that are up there, mainly because they don't let me into them. And then I cut up what I think is important. Well, I don't cut it. Luckily, Jeff Hill Production and Izzy does it for me. But I tell them what I like, what I have opinions on. And the reason why I do that is you can use me as a filter if you trust what I think is important. But if you don't, hey, you know, knock yourself out and go listen to the whole things. We have uh, uh, an amazing play I'm going to show you. You know what? I'll, you know what? I'll show you in just a second uh, from FS1 that I got to get to. And then that picture of our good friend Javante Carver with the lip. That's from Lo Show de Recall. As I have no idea if I said that right. It is an Italian show based entirely on people trying to set world, uh, Guinness World Records. It's just a show about people. You watch people live try to set Guinness World Records. And Javante Carter flew all the way from New Orleans to, to uh, Rome to, uh, to, to be on that TV show. And congratulations, of course, for uh, destroying an American now has the record for gurning. Because there was an international crisis when China took that record. So we got it back about gurning. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. Now, what would be even more impressive is if he can drink beer with his lip over his nose like that. That would, that would be uh, that would, what impressed me. Okay. Before I get to Doug's big one, I want to show you this from last night. This was heartbreaking to me. This was, I didn't mean to make it personal, but it was. And I'm still in shock. I think a lot of you know, but in case you don't, Craig Wolfley is the oldest brother of five Wolfley kids and three boys. Craig went to Syracuse. Well, it was so weird being at the viewing this weekend. Or I keep thinking, I said this like five times when I was talking to Jennifer this weekend. You know, when you're off for two days, you, it's kind of like you're a weekend. No, no, it wasn't a weekend. It was the middle of the week. But um, what, it was so dumb of me. I kept saying wolf when I wanted Ron's attention. And like you know, 17 people turn around when you say the name wolf at the viewing. And I kept, oh, sorry, sorry, uh, Ron. And, and some people there call him Ronnie, which is, I, I'm not going there. But anyway, um, Craig went to Syracuse, and Ron Wolfley did not want to go to Syracuse because he thought, I'll never be as good as my brother, and I don't want anybody bringing that up all the time. So he decided to go to West Virginia. And then Dale, whose viewing I was at, Dale's opinion was, I can't live up to Craig's reputation either. But I can certainly live up to Ron's, so I'll go to West Virginia. <laughs> he never actually said that, I don't think, but that's what Wolf always said. So, so he goes there to West Virginia. So because of that, last night was the first West Virginia game without Dale as the color analyst in quite a while. I think, that's, I, think I have the story right because he's done a lot of things for West Virginia. So I think I have that story right. If I'm wrong a little bit, I'm so sorry I didn't do more research to get it right. But I know what West Virginia football means to them, okay? So they're playing at Houston on the road, down by three. Go ahead and roll it if you could, Jeff Weir Production. There's only 20 seconds left in the game. From the 50-yard line, they hit a little slant pattern, splitting the safeties, going down. West Virginia scores. Now, I'm sorry. I bought into it hook, line, and sinker for Dale. For da- and I was so excited for the Wolfley family. I will never be a West Virginia fan coming from Ohio, but I was so happy for them. And then, two seconds left, Houston goes for the Hail Mary, and it gets tipped. It's caught, and Houston wins. No! I was just heartbreaking. 
That's Stephon Johnson with the reception in which the WVU, the first kid, jumps up and just puts a hand up instead of smacking it down. The second kid actually does smack it out of a receiver's hands, but the ball gets tipped up and lands in the hands of Johnson for the Houston touchdown. I just, no, no. You get a a touchdown with 12 seconds left to take the lead for such an emotional week for West Virginia fans, and then, no, I just... Just heartbroken. Just heartbroken for that. I mean, it's just kids playing football, and you can't read into it as much as we all try to. But that was uh, – you had to see that from last night. That was, a, that was a gut-wrenching one. All right, I think we covered everything. Let's roll. Doug's Big One. Doug's Big One today is yesterday it happened while I was uh, flying in. The article that I've been talking about dropped in The Athletic, and there was a lot to talk about. My number one opinion is what we learned is just how highly sexist Michael Bidwill is and how you can totally see what it's like to be a part of a backwards organization and why there are so many reasons this is a perennially losing franchise. However, there's a lot of people and some of my own sources that continually push for Michael Bidwill to either lose the team or go through Heavy, heavy suspension. To this point, nothing has been remotely proven that says that should happen. Nothing. So Doug's big one today is we've got a long ways to go if supposedly Michael Bidwell is either going to lose this team or suffer some kind of suspension. That's where we are now. I'll get into the article in just a second. Now, that opinion will dramatically change as we get more and more, hopefully, leaks out of the arbitration case to really learn what is happening between Michael Bidwell and Terry McDonough. If you're going to suspend Tom Brady for four games for Deflategate, in which you talk about the integrity of the game, and as a commissioner, and I think Roger Goodell is, is a joke, but as a commissioner, if you're going to continually claim Owners are held to a higher standard of which you failed every time that you said that. Well, then Michael Bidwell has to be suspended for much longer than Tom Brady for the burner phone situation. That is the accusation from Terry McDonough that Steve Kime, the former general manager, has a DUI. Michael Bidwill takes it out of the NFL's hands by giving a very strong fine and suspension. Very strong. And that's why this is a different situation. A lot of people say, it's not the NFL's business. They they didn't do anything. Okay, this is a Cardinal suspension. So however the Cardinals want to handle it, if they want to suspend him and it's it's cheating, it's not cheating then to use him. They kind of cheated their own suspension. How is that cheating? I understand your opinion, but it's actually an uninformed opinion, if that's your opinion. By hammering Steve Keim, and the giving him the suspension they gave him, the NFL then said, well, then we don't need to do anything. So it was no longer an NFL suspension. The NFL would have taken action if the Cardinals didn't react so strongly. So when you then circumvent your own suspension, you've in a sense lied to the NFL because now you've told the NFL we're doing this and you're really not. And that is the sanctity of the game. That is, every reason you went after Tom Brady was such a vigilance. 
then leads right to where is the same investigation into Michael Bidwell? What are you doing? And instead, the NFL is taking a let's draw it out slowly so we can try to waste the resources of Terry McDonough type of thing. It should not take this long for arbitration. Never. You can tell it's much more of a mediation of what can we do to pay off Terry McDonough to lessen his uh, position instead of the NFL looking at Michael Bidwell and saying, okay, we need to investigate this for the integrity of the game. For the same reasons we went after Tom Brady, we need to go after Michael Bidwell. Well, the NFL is not really interested in the integrity of the game. It's a lie. It's a bold-faced lie because if it wasn't, then the investigation would already be going much deeper than mediation between an arbitrator and trying to come to a happy solution for everybody. So that's two different things. I just wanted to make clear this this, uh, investigative piece of journalism by The Athletic does not rise to the level of what the, the heinous, I would say heinous, within the confines of the game. Not the confines of society, but within the confines of the game in the Michael Bidwill versus Terry McDonough uh, arbitration case. So those are two different things. My opinions on the article, moving off of Doug's big one and now just going to the article, I think we learned a lot, but I think there's a lot lacking. And... I have a theory on this. If you didn't get a chance to read the article, you don't know what I'm talking about. The Athletic yesterday produced an investigative piece that dove into very sexist practices that are going on with the Arizona Cardinals. That the Cardinals, if you want their side of the story in the article, claim that Michael says there's a lot he's learned from the last couple of years, things he wished he could change, and they're in the process of making a lot of changes. And everything uh, that the team wanted to say is they've recognized issues. And then when they tried to change things, COVID hit, that changed all the rules. And now they're into implementing their actual changes that they had come up with a long time ago. Decide to believe them if you want. I don't. And, and you know, I, I should answer that. Here's why I don't. I know of three specific situations, the, the, the names of the three individuals as well. Okay, and the Cardinals are going to freak out about this. I know this, but I know of three different situations which are frighteningly embarrassing to the Cardinals. And by Michael Bidwill not coming forward and uh, having detailed conversations with these people about how to make it right, and that usually means make it right financially, to really show contrition, that you can't say in one hand, I'm working so hard to change, and then, on the other hand, doing the things they're doing. You might ask, well, what are they doing? It is my opinion that the Arizona Cardinals are sending out different either investigative lawyers or people to see and kind of get witness statements of, okay, what do you remember about this incident? What do you remember about this incident in these different situations? Okay, so let's say Michael Bidwell has a blow-up at somebody. Okay, so you have a blow-up. And, and then let's say this pregnant woman that you have the blow up at really struggles emotionally at the way that she was treated. Now, do you go to that person, deeply apologize and give them extra money and ask them for forgiveness? Or do you investigate what everybody else remembers? Almost as if to put a price tag on, well, a lot of people don't remember what happened. So since they don't remember what happened, it's not going to cost us that much. Or 
you know what, we can defend ourselves. We can go forward and defend ourselves if they try to go to arbitration against us. Different scenarios like that. Listen, I want to be clear. Every business in the world goes through risk assessment. Every business in the world is going to try to judge how much other people know to kind of find out what's our liabilities, how high would the level of embarrassment be if the story gets out, and then assign a dollar figure to the level of embarrassment that they're worried about if it comes out. Every company does that, okay? So I'm not blasting the Cardinals for doing that aspect of it. I'm blasting the hypocrisy of putting in this athletic article how much they're changing, how much Michael Bidwell wishes that he was better in certain situations. But then you're investigating to see how cheaply or if at all you need to reimburse people that you're saying you're supposedly so sorry for. If you really feel that terrible, you're going to call those people into the office, you're going to apologize to them straight to their face, and then you're going to say, what would you like us to do to make this right? How can we, is it get an old job back if you're no longer employed? It's, it's then what kind of bonus or structure or security are you looking for? How can we make your life better? And, and, and sometimes it's not financial. Sometimes it's workplace policies that these people would like to see changed. That you have to say, you know what, since I was so wrong, let's try it your way. And if Michael Bidwell's not willing to do that, then all of the apologies and the PR statements in these articles are all a joke. They're all fake to make you and I think everything is okay with the Arizona Cardinals. I don't know which way this is going to go. I'm going to keep monitoring the situation because I think this is incomplete. So since I think this is incomplete, I'm not going to stop trying to protect them. Now, I, always, I always want you to know my motives in this, Okay. Motive number one for me is my own failure, okay? I, I knew so much about what was going on behind the scenes with the Suns and Robert Sarver. And a lot of times, I do kind of blame my old station because you might not know this. This is the only market in the country that has four major sports franchises, Division I football, Division I basketball, and all six of those teams are on the same radio station. That doesn't happen anywhere. So because of that, obviously, they're all partners with these teams, so they tread very lightly on difficult topics such as this one. And as as I learned now, I want to be clear. I never presented any of my bosses, here's the things I know about the Suns, and they never said, Doug, don't talk about that. Okay, there's a lot of other things I was told, you know, be quiet or quit going there, or you've upset our partners. We need to work in, you know, blah, 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 at meetings post-show. That stuff happened. But on this specific subject with the Suns, it never happened. I would like to blame the station, you know, for beating me down on other topics and I wasn't on my game. But I, that's kind of a cop, maybe 5% blame, you know, but that's kind of a cop out by me. I should have been stronger as a person. I should have looked at that and said, I know what's going on here and really done some investigative journalism into helping those people with the Suns. And I didn't do it. And, and I, and I want to win as a fan, and I could have used my position to help people, help an organization, and in my opinion, make us better city. That, that team, the Suns, represents us. And I could have fought for better representation, and I didn't. So when you fail at something to the level I feel like I failed and let those Suns employees down, I don't want to do that again. 
So I want to be here for the Cardinals employees who are going through something similar. So that's motivation number one. Motivation number two, and I've told you this before, the most ridiculous PR statement I've ever seen in my life. 30 years I've been in this business. Terry McDonough goes at arbitration against the Cardinals. Listen, I used to like Terry McDonough when he worked for the team, but I didn't really know him very well because he wouldn't talk to me. Okay, so it was just like a boy. I, I respect this family. I respect this guy, but you know, I don't I don't really know him very well because he would never talk to me about things. Well, with the situation that occurred, I would have been kind of ignoring a lot of the case if it wasn't for the PR statement when the Cardinals tried to say that Michael Bidwell didn't know this was going on. As soon as he found out the burner phones were going on, he got rid of all the burner phones, immediately stopped all aspects of this scandal, and then turned around and said that, uh, Terry McDonough, we have issues of finding out about domestic violence. We have issues of finding out about a home life that wasn't acceptable and issues where we find out that he's not doing the things he needs to do as a dad. Listen, you... That was the most unprofessional thing I've ever seen an organization do to another person that was on the staff. I, I, I'm still embarrassed to be a – I've always said Cardinal supporter. I'm a, a Commanders fan, but Cardinal supporter. And to see that was such trash that those two things drive me forward to get the truth. So that's why I'm in this, if you're wondering. I think it's fair for, for me to tell you my frame of reference. This article, now let's get into the article. I'm going to go through a lot of the points the article made that was in The Athletic in case you don't have a subscription to The Athletic. But my overall opinion is it shows a great deal of sexism on the part of the Cardinals. It shows a great deal of the reasons why they're backwards as an organization. But I also thought that the article was a little weak in the fact that nobody was on the record. And I felt like... um. There has to be more. I kind of felt like it was rushed. So here's my opinion on that. This is not fact. This is my opinion. Let's see where it goes. It's my opinion there is another media outlet that is going after this story. Baxter Holmes covered the situation with the Suns unbelievably well. I don't know if it's him. Seth Wickersham is a writer for ESPN. If you ever see his name on any article, look out. He has exposed some unbelievable things with incredible detail. He's a fantastic investigative journalist. I don't know if it's Seth Wickersham. Um, I, I believe there's somebody with either ESPN or Yahoo or another national element that is after this story. And the Athletic said, we want to be first. So I, I believe everything that the Athletic wrote. I don't think it was factually incorrect. I just felt like it was a little incomplete. I think there's got to be more. And with it being a little incomplete, that gives me the feeling as a member of the media, they were trying to beat somebody to the punch so they can say we covered it first. Well, first of all, Athletic, Doug Franz Unplugged covered it first. So what's your rush? Okay, it's already there. Secondly, I think it is important to say that must be why because there could have been a lot more in my opinion i'll consider it my job to try to have somebody on the record if the arizona cardinals don't act in the proper way if the arizona cardinals act in the proper way talk to some of the people that i've already talked to and make it right then i think i should back off because eventually hey don't spill your guts and take money you know what i mean i kind of look at it like that 
if they're going to go and be made whole and have their life put back together by the way Michael Bidwell treated them, then I'm not in it for my own attention. I would love the attention for Doug Franz Unplugged. But I don't want to tear down Michael Bidwell just to build up Doug Franz Unplugged. Okay, I want the Unplugged Army to lift us up. I want to lift us up. I don't want to be built by tearing other people down. But if they're not going to do the right thing, I will, is how I look at it. I obviously then get judged by you whether or not I'm doing the right thing by doing it that way. So here's the article, if you didn't get a chance to be a part of it. Um, Troubling workplace environment under Michael Bidwill, 2019 employee survey, people uh, tore Michael Bidwill to shreds, was a quote from somebody that worked there. After a year, the survey was never really mentioned other than one email that talked about new gym memberships. I'll talk to you about what the gym memberships were in just a second. And then, as part of knowledge of that survey, there was a quote from Ron Miniger, the former COO, that said, um, instead of leaning into it and trying to change things for the better, you shut the study down. So let me give you, there's a lot of backstories here. Hopefully you love this from Doug Franz Unplugged. A lot, some of you might say, Doug, this is boring. This is too detail-oriented. I, I get it, but I kind of look at it as where else are you going to get it? Local sports talk radio either has been told not to talk about it or doesn't have the detail to talk about it. I want to be that person for you that you can count on that when it comes to details, you're going to be educated by this. So that's what I'm trying to do. Hopefully I succeed at it. The Ron Miniger story of this, this is how this works. Ron Miniger wrote a letter kind of as as part of what a lot of people do as they're recovering from alcoholism to say, here's are the things that I could have done better. And within the confines of that article, excuse me, that letter, I believe the Arizona Cardinals actually used a portion of of Ron Miniger's comments in a letter opening up about his own life to then give to the public to attack Terry McDonough. I think it's one of the most cowardly moves I've ever seen. I also believe that the Arizona Cardinals had the class to ask Ron Miniger, can we use this to defend ourselves? And I believe Ron Miniger told the Cardinals, yes, if you release the whole thing. I don't think it's right for you to choose excerpts out of what I wrote. If you release the whole thing and let people judge, go ahead. And then I believe the Cardinals didn't do Ron Miniger's wishes. Notice I keep saying I believe. I'm not reporting. I'm saying what I think happened. I think that they then used what they wanted out of Ron Miniger's letter to blast Harry McDonough. Totally against Ron Miniger's issues. Good reporting. This is this is old part of the story. Good reporting by Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk. I believe he contacted Ron Miniger and said, what's really going on here? And I believe Ron Miniger said, I told them, only use the letter in its entirety. Don't pick and choose quotes. And I think he gave the whole letter then that he wrote to Mike Florio and Pro Football Talk. And now you got it in its entirety. And that's when we find out. So is, this is one word against another. The Cardinals claim the survey happened and they used it. But all of the employees that spoke off the record in this article and then in the letter written by Ron Miniger to the Arizona Cardinals released by Pro Football Talk now on the record says Michael Bidwell got ripped 
for the way that he owned the team by the employees, and then instead of trying to change, he backed away and destroyed the survey and said, we're not going there anymore. So when I read the statement that was put out by the Cardinals through The Athletic in this article of Michael Bidwell saying, I want to change, I've realized there's things I, sh- I could have done better, I, you got to show that, okay? Because your actions are screaming louder than your words right now. I mean, to the point of embarrassment, for, for really almost a civic embarrassment, for you to actually say, you know what, you want to change. And yet... Your employees tell you some of the things that, that are going on, and, uh, and this is how you handled it. Ron Miniger said in that letter, a majority of our employees are working in fear, and yet Michael destroys the, the survey, allegedly. So that's that portion of it. So that, that was the survey portion. Another situation is what they called unwritten policies. Now, when I say they, now I mean the employees, former employees and current employees, especially for women. How women were to dress, interact with male staffers and players, coach staffers, and where they could and could not go in the building. Well, what that meant was they say, let's say a woman that's going out to the field to be around the players is wearing leggings, shorts, or a skirt. The unwritten rule was they had to tie some kind of sweater or sweatshirt around their waist that then dropped to cover their butt. Now, this is interesting. I, Just to be blunt, I was always surprised how I would stand out at minicamp. It is, let's say, 110 degrees, 105 degrees. And women members of either the Cardinals media, not regular media, but Cardinals media, or women that were working for the Cardinals would wear a sweatshirt around their waist in 110 degrees. Here's why it it always surprised me. And, And some of you women, you might be able to disagree with me and explain this to me. My feeling was if you're worried about people looking at your butt while you're wearing leggings, and again, I've never been a woman. I have no idea what it's like to have eyeballs on you. But if that bothers you, why wear the leggings? If it if it doesn't bother you, why wear the sweatshirt? Now that is not at all discussing the situation with men. You know, I, I look at it differently. If I'm judging the man, and I don't mean what the man wears, I mean the man staring down a woman's butt, I was like, hey, she, this isn't an art exhibit here. She's not on display, okay? Can we either have a conversation with a woman or watch football? So I can judge the man, and I can look at the woman and just wonder, okay, why this standard? So I always wondered why women even had sweatshirts near their person when it's 110 degrees outside. And don't tell me, well, you know, you walk into an air-conditioned building, you're cold. Well, they have a desk. They could keep the sweatshirt or the sweater at their desk. So I totally believe this unwritten rule. Totally believe it. Because I saw it happen so often. It didn't make sense that every woman felt like they needed to walk around with a sweatshirt tied to their waist in 110 degrees. That never made sense to me. I didn't know why I didn't put this together. So this is why, if you're wondering, this bothers me because think about what this does to a woman. Instead of feeling free at work, and that still goes to you to express your ideas, You then go to work knowing 
you have a different set of rules than men do. That's going to bother you. If you're a driven person and you feel like there's a ceiling in front of you, above you, it's going to bother you. And then I also look at it from a Michael Bidwell standpoint. Here's Here's what I don't understand. If you have documented situations of women trying to use their attractiveness at work to entice men, why are you employing them? You know, if it's somebody that is is doing unscrupulous things, document it, prove it, get HR involved and fire them. If you are so worried that men can't control themselves and see a human butt in leggings and they can't focus on football anymore, then get us players that can win. I, I would like players that focus on football. I would like players that can win. Do one or the other. Which one is it? And that's why I look at that as so archaic, so backwards. And I, I, that's why I love the movie A Few Good Men so much. I always look at it as why the two orders. If Santiago was not to be touched, then why did he have to be transferred off the base? Which one is it? Is the woman out there with no real reason to be out there and she's just flaunting the goods in order to get attention? Well, then don't have an unwritten rule. Have HR involved, have them have a conversation, document the conversation with emails. If it's violated again, let's have a process. If it's not her that's doing it and you're just worried about the guys, well then why are they here? Let's play football. Why are you bringing in guys we've got to worry about in society? That's how I look at that. Um... There was an also an unwritten policy, not unwritten. Men were allowed to use any Cardinals employee that's a male was allowed to use the locker room. Uh, I should say the locker room, the uh, the weight room, if the players weren't there. However, no women were allowed to use it. Now they said this was unwritten as well, but the women knew they weren't allowed to really go down there and use it. Now, to me. I, I think that's kind of an ignorant policy. That's that's blatant sexism. You're having rules for male employees and rules for female employees. And how that... I'm just more surprised at the ignorance of it. I actually don't have a problem with the philosophy of I don't want workers in a in a gym. I do believe you can get sexually charged up in a gym. Okay, I do. And I wouldn't want any of my employees going down there using the players' workout equipment because I don't trust, are they always going to clean up after themselves? Are they always going to follow every rule? Is it always going to be reset up for the players? Is there never going to be interaction with the player? There's a lot. I don't want to deal with the insurance of it either. Okay, I, I would not want any of that going on. So I would have said no to everybody. But the idea that you actually have, oh, all the men can use it, but hey, girls, we don't, no, you just stay away. That, that is, I I don't know how you're not smart enough to know how sexist that is, to have a different set of rules. Um, Another part of the, the way the women felt from a sexist standpoint was the new wall. They claimed that there used to be no wall in a second floor hallway where there were a bunch of females working at cubicles and where coaches had some meetings and coaches had staff and coaches had uh, offices. 
And sometimes players and coaches would walk down that hall and interact with the female employees. The players and coaches had no idea that there was a unwritten rule that they're not supposed to interact. But then a lot of times if there was a longer conversation between some of the women and a coach or a player, according to the article, there would be somebody in a meeting at some point that was a supervisor that would say, let's not fraternize with the players. So even if you're having a nice conversation about life, that's now fraternizing, talking to, we don't want that. Don't distract them. So you have a stand, everybody's an employee, whether you're a millionaire player or whether you are running a scoreboard or something. So now you have a set of rules for these women and a set of rules for these players. Now, we could argue all day long, because this is all about how you feel. We could argue all day long whether that's acceptable. To me, imagine what it says to that female employee. You are saying right from the beginning, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. I don't trust where this conversation could lead. A conversation between a guy and a girl in the office. No, these people are special. These people are better. We're not one good team here. And when you create that kind of culture, now you see why so many things are backwards. Even if you don't really have a problem with it, just understand how backwards that is. It's, it, it, when you set it up like that, it is, you're the secretary, you're meaningless, don't bother the important people. Or it's the sexism of, now sparks are going to be flying and there's going to be problems, blah, blah, blah. See what I mean? And that, put yourself in the position of the woman to be told, give me your best as an employee, knowing I don't trust you. Knowing now you're going to leave a meeting with a supervisor who says, you know, I, I saw you the other day, uh, so-and-so cornerback walked by and you sat there and talked to him for 10 minutes. Why? I mean, you've got work to do. He's got work to do. It's nice of him to start a conversation, but you need to get out of that conversation and get back to work. So he has that conversation with you about not doing that with talking to the players, but he doesn't have that same conversation with male members of the non-football staff. Why not? Again, that's terribly sexist. Women know that, and that's a source of incredible frustration. And I also kind of look at it with Michael Bidwell. This is basically the same training facility you've had since the 1980s. It's taken Matt Ishby a seven, eight months to all of a sudden be, say, you know what? This isn't good enough to be a championship team. I'm now going to create this. You've stayed in the same facility for almost 40 years now. Well, yeah, almost 40 years now. You've stayed in the same facility. I would say maybe 35 years. And... With that, and it's basically, if you haven't been there, it kind of feels like a place that was built for a parks and recs department in the in the 80s. I'm like, oh, boom, let's put an NFL team here. So you're in the same thing. If you really want that separation, why haven't you built something that really creates separation instead of a fake plastic wall? So a lot of people, you can really imagine if you're working in that environment every day, you're made to feel like this every day. It's really going to weigh on you. And then one of two things happen. Either good people leave because they're not going to put up with it. Or people stay, but they're not themselves. 
They go to work like they're going to war almost, or they go to work scared, and you don't have the free exchange of ideas. And that doesn't allow any organization to grow. And that's why the Cardinals are always up and down. Get a quarterback, get a couple good players, it'll be sustained for a year or two, but it's always going to fall on its face because it's not everybody pulling the rope the same way. Obviously, opinionated statements by me, but I think a positive work environment leads to positive results. Um, in the article, it says, uh, Michael Bidwell says, I have, to, I have room to grow. My direct approach doesn't land well. There's, there's a big difference between direct approach, and I'm not getting personal when I say this, and being a jerk. I'm not going out. I, I wasn't there. I'm not calling Michael Bidwell a jerk. I'm just saying in general. A lot of people like to say they're direct and they're a jerk. A lot of people think being direct is being open and honest. No, there's two different things, okay? Let me give you an example. If you ask me a question, I'm going to give you, a, I'm a direct person as far as giving you a direct answer. I've always made the joke, and I let people know this even though it's not a joke. When I met my wife, I said, if you ask me, do I look fat in this dress? I'm going to tell you, yes, you do, or no, you don't. I'm going to tell you how I think. Now, I love you. I don't care if you gain weight. It's not going to change my, I'm attracted to you because, yes, I do think you're beautiful, but I'm attracted to you because I've seen you lay upside down to protect my child's life. I'm attracted to you because I've done things that are just stupid and you've forgiven me and you still love me. So my attraction to you is based on 20 whatever years, I don't remember how long I've been married, 20 some odd years of a fantastic marriage. That's what attracts me to you. So if you gained weight, who cares? I'll get over it. And by the way, I'm fat now too. I've gained weight. So that's different. But don't ask me the question. Just know I don't care. But if you ask me, yeah. Yeah, you do. So don't ask that. If you don't ask me my opinion, but I have an opinion that's so strong I feel like I should share it with you, I don't have the direct approach. I come to you and I say, here's what I'm thinking. And I tell you what I think. And then I ask, how does that make you feel? What, what do you think about what I've said? Are there reasons you're doing it this way that I need to be more understanding of? Or do you listen to my opinion and go, yeah, you're right. I should do it like that. Or are you holding firm on, no, I disagree with you. I want to keep doing it this way. And if you say, I want to keep doing it to you with you, you know, I want to do it this way. If I have any authority over the situation, I'm going to continually say, okay, I'll let you do it your way, but I just want you to know I'm judging it. We're going to watch the results closely. And if it turns out to be right, I'm excited because that helps the company. And I'm going to tell you I'm wrong. And if it doesn't work out, I do expect you now. I'm now telling you we're going to do it my way. That's kind of the way I like to manage. You can see that's not that's that's different than Michael. Michael isn't being direct if you're yelling and screaming at somebody and flying in on a helicopter just to have a meeting. Okay, that's not that's not direct approach. That's intimidation. And the only reason you lead through intimidation is because you're afraid to lose power and you don't respect other people. And if you don't respect other people, they feel that. You know what I mean? Speaking of a lack of respect, one of the things in the article was the way he treated COO Ron Miniger in front of Arizona Cardinals employees. Ron Miniger got arrested for a very, very horrible DUI and deserved, in my opinion, the public embarrassment he got. Totally deserved it because it was heinous. 
and the amount of people he put in danger that night. So I don't mind the mugshot getting produced and everybody talking about it. And I can't even imagine Michael Bidwell's rage at what that, how that made the Cardinals look when you just come off of the Steve Kime DUI. So I can't imagine his rage, and I want to be very understanding of his rage. However, in a meeting, he said, quote, I wanted to fire your ass. Let's just say, uh, turn on the 360 for me, would you? Um, here it is, quote, I wanted to fire your, and don't uh, do it again. And said that in front of everybody else. Well, here's my opinion on that. If you're a true leader, you don't say, I wanted to fire you. You fire him. If it's so heinous, so terrible, and it puts the Cardinals in such a bad light, you say, I would like to offer you firing or resignation. I don't want to put up with this. But you've already been the hypocrite to allow Steve Kime to stay. So which is it? Either this is a horrible thing and Steve Kime has to go, or you're going to let Steve Kime go through this because he's your buddy. Then you're going to keep Ron Miniger. Which one is it? Again, we're going back to a few good men. Why the two orders? So then because you know your own weakness in your decision of Steve Kime, you felt, okay, now I know what I'll do. I'll get you in front of everybody and blast you. That'll show I'm tough. Really? I mean, if I'm there at that meeting, I'm looking at you saying, well, if you're really this strong of a leader, why didn't you fire him? I know why, because you kept Steve Kime. And then don't blanking do it again. Okay, that's for in a closed door where you just simply say, with strength and power, I just want you to know, if there's any other DUIs, you know, I hope you get help. I hope you recover from the alcoholism, but you are fired on the next one. Or do we understand that? Then there's no reason. Or if you really think that needs to be said in front of everybody, you say, I want to let everybody know we're going to support Ron. We're going to try to get Ron the help that he needs. And a lot of times it can be a wave when you're trying to get through this. But I can't allow up and downs with DUI. So I've informed him if he gets a second, he's going to be um, let go. And that's, that's my stance on that. And I think it's fair for all of you to know that. That's leading because you don't feel the need to make a show about it. And according to the article... That was in front of everybody, and there's multiple witnesses that he did that with Ron Miniger. I'm not really defending Ron Miniger when I say that. I'm attacking a lack of leadership. I think those are two different things. I don't really feel bad for Ron Miniger, to be quite blunt. Okay, you're embarrassed about your DUI. You know what? Thank God you didn't kill anybody, including yourself. But this is about Michael Bidwell. It's not about you. If you want to have a show about Ron Miniger, we'll have a show with Ron Miniger. Um, this was an interesting line. People don't say anything here. They complain under their breath and they go into their car at lunch and they cry. I would look at that and say, yes, there's a lot of room for interpretation. I can even tell you that as a dad. All right. My oldest daughter, if I even if I say if I just say Vienna, that's that's not acceptable. Okay, I don't yell at her. Boom, crying like crazy. And if I look at my youngest and I say, McKenna, what? That is, that's just wrong. This is your right, Daddy. What should we do now? You know, and it's a matter of fact. She accepts it, moves on. And I bet you I can have the same tone in my voice, and the oldest would say, You're yelling at me. 
So I want to be very understanding that everybody has a different interpretation. However, when you have multiple people talking about crying in their car, this isn't a one-off incident. You have one woman that says jokingly, I was just hired, and shortly after I was hired, I was told I'm not a true cardinal until I get yelled at by Michael Bidwell. 20 minutes later, after somebody told me that, I got yelled at by Michael Bidwell because I was walking too slowly in the hallway. Now, I don't know that story. We, You and I have no idea what constituted yelling. But if you get barked at by the owner that early for walking slowly... What is that? That goes to environment. That goes to workplace culture. And that it's such proof positive of why this organization is so backwards. Now, keep in point, or case in point, what I should say. This still, I was still let down by the article. I, I, I still feel like it shows that he's a terrible boss. He's too cheap to hire a president, in my opinion. Too cheap to have done a search for a new COO as quickly as possible. And those people could have created separation and kept his rage tree away from the workforce. I wish that would have happened. I think they would have been better for it. But to me, if I'm if I'm kind of reading that article, I'm not looking at it as should Michael Bidwell use, lose the team or be suspended about every anything from that article? No. None of this comes close to Robert Sarver. None of this comes close to Daniel Snyder. None of it. No sexual allegations at all. No blatant, ridiculous amounts of sexual harassment. Something like that. Great amounts of sexism, but no sexual harassment. Those are the things that I think you got to be suspended for. You've got to be attacked. Your, your, your character needs to be attacked. Things like that. I look at this more as a Cardinals fan saying, see, this is why with this man, an unchanging Michael Bidwill, this organization will never have prolonged success. He can't create a culture that has prolonged success. That's where my anger would be as a fan in this. And that's kind of two different arguments. Now, I don't know what the ESPN deal is going to have. And I don't know my next move because I still feel like a a calling to help those people that are working in that organization to be able to help them as a member of the media that's not afraid to be able to help create a workplace environment that they can be proud of so we can have a better product as a fan base. And I feel like I owe that to you and hopefully I do a good job. All right, that's all my opinions about the article. Uh, Of course, I planned on doing about 20 minutes on it, and I think I did 45. Hopefully, I entertained you because I can totally understand at times that's just this long soliloquy of one guy talking for 45 minutes, but I have a lot of passion on the subject, and I want to be fair, and it's kind of hard to be fair on this situation because there's a lot of other things that I know that I think are a lot more damning than were in the article. I wish we would have got more out of the article. Let's see what happens coming up in the future. Now let's talk about the game. That's coming up next. Cardinals, Rams. I got some D-backs I want to talk about today. Got a little bit of U of A to talk about today as well. And I loved six minutes of Suns basketball last night that just made me feel like we're ready. We are ready. Still a lot more to come. My name is Doug Franz. Thanks for watching Doug Franz Unplugged on WTSMTV.com. We're presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass.
It's hot. We've had a pretty hot summer here in Arizona. Who can you trust with your air conditioning? There's only one place my family has ever trusted in Arizona, and that's Parker & Sons Heating, Cooling, Plumbing, and Electrical. Call 602 to repair. That's 602, the number two, then R-E-P-A-I-R for Parker & Sons. And the reason why I suggest them to you as passionately as I possibly can is I know they've showed up on time to my home every time, and they've gotten it right the first time every time, and they've treated me fairly every time. What else can you say? Plus, they don't charge anything for nights, weekends, emergencies. That means something, because when your air conditioner goes out in the summer in Arizona, that's an emergency. You need repairs fast, and you can trust Parker & Sons. How do I know? Because my family does. 6022 repair. That's 602, the number two, then R E P A I R for Parker and Sons. Rosati Sports Pub in Chandler. It's on Ray and McQueen. Sounds like a sports bar. What's the difference? You walk in and they actually have games on TV with the sound on. How many times do you walk into a supposed sports bar and they've got loud music on or somebody playing live or some kind of trivia game going on and you're there to watch the game? If you're like me, a simple guy, give me my pizza, give me my wings, give me my cold beer and make sure I can hear the Suns and D-backs, then you want Rosati Sports Pub and Chandler. All members of the Unplugged Army, welcome. Rosati Sports Pub, give me the game. Always hard to find out, learn the hard way, you can't do that. I can't gurn. I learned today. <laughs> Javante said, <laughs> I just can't even look at it. Javante says when he was young and in elementary school, a friend told him when you eat, your face disappears. <laughs> And he thought that was funny. So while chewing, he did that not knowing he could even do it. And he's done it ever since. And and then the fact that it's got a name. Like, doesn't gurning sound like a middle-aged punishment? I say, gurn him. You know, that's what I think as soon as I hear that. And no, gurning is the ability to lift your lower lip and cover your nose with it. When I watch the video of him doing it, it almost looks like he dislocates his jaw yeah. and then pushes it up. Yeah, over his nose. it's it's weird. It's just it's almost it's almost like he was born with a super lower lip and then and then just okay, it just flaps up. I mean, it's almost like the lip stretches when he lifts it. It's just yeah. so weird. And then congratulations, a minute and two seconds, Gurney. Uh, hopefully, America can hold on to that record. The catch is, will that become an Olympic sport? That I would like to see, like gurning and archery combined. Like I've always been big on combining different uh, sports, you know. And so if you could do archery while gurning, okay, you know that's a little different. I that's always been something that just combine things, combine bobsled and javelin. You know, while the bobsled's going down, see which country can hit him with the you know, just stuff. I, that's kind of cool, you know. I mean, you can wear like, like armor while you while you bobsled and and see what happens. That's a death sport. I mean, I don't want anybody to die, but like, let's go back to the original things of of some of the Olympic games, you know, and have some fun. 
Uh, I do. I actually do like biathlon. That's the sport where they have a rifle and they go uh, cross country skiing. I mean, that is that's hilarious. That's like real life for fifteen people in the fifteen hundreds in Norway. Okay, let's have a sport totally based on how they eat. Yeah, so that's just kind of fun to me. I don't know why. I can only watch it for like four minutes. Like, all right, I'm done with this. But for a while, I'm like, wow, this is kind of interesting. All right. Uh, let's get to the Cardinals game because I'm about ready to run out of time. Steve McCollum's already going like this. You know, I'm supposed to be on at about 740, 7.42. <laughs> that's 30 minutes from now, uh, Doug. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, I got a lot more to do here. Let's, uh, let's start things off with uh, Jonathan Gannon. Uh, in the four-minute offense, we played Jonathan talking about um, trying to handle the most difficult player on the other team, okay? What do we need to do to stop their best player? And you can see Christian McCaffrey into Jamar Chase just lit him up. The Rams are a little different defensively, in, or excuse me, offensively, in which I don't think they have a ton of great weapons, but they have a lot of good weapons, and a good quarterback that distributes the ball well, and the younger receivers are learning all the time. Kind of like you wish you played the Rams week one, because they wouldn't have been even remotely ready. They get a little bit better uh, every week. Here is Jonathan Gannon talking about now. the. He, he, I have two quotes from JG, one about the offense, one about the defense. Here's what he sees when he looks at the Rams offense. Yeah, there, there's um, they they move before the snap a good amount, like uh, a la San Francisco. But um, you know, there's different trees out there, and guys have been, you know, different offensive schemes and things like that. He Sean's different than anybody out there. You know, he puts his wrinkles out. What I think makes him special as a coach and play caller is is you see him set up his offense week to week, year to year. Um, I like where he went um, in that conversation because Sean McVay, just so you know, it, it's it's personal for no good reason, I, I admit. I want Sean McVay to lose everything he ever does. And no, I don't normally root against people that were born in, in my hometown. Um, uh, and the reason why I, I say that is um, Tim, I, I think his father, I'm cheating, I know why – I can't remember why he was born in Dayton. Uh, I believe it's because his dad was coaching at the University of Dayton or coaching at a high school. I can't remember uh, why he was born in Dayton. But he eventually moved, went to college or went to high school in Georgia, but came back to the Ohio area to the school that we never talk about. And so since he went to the school that he that we never talk about, I always root for his demise and failure. And it's just heartbreaking that a man – I think he's the only person in the history of the college we never talk about that's ever been employed. So that – I mean, I mean, congratulations to him for that, that he actually used his degree and got a job. But anyway uh, – and he actually has a hel- – one of the helmets of the college we do not speak of is on his – is on a shelf behind his desk. So every time when we were in COVID, we used to have Zoom calls. I would watch almost every coach's presser to see was there anything I want to use that night in Doug Franz Unplugged, and I would stare at that stupid helmet. Sorry, I just needed a second. But what he was getting at, and the reason why I like the quote, is he talked about that Sean doesn't really come from a tree. And what the tree means is everybody, like a, even a John Gruden, came from the 
uh, Mike Holmgren tree, which came from the uh, um, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I just uh, forgot a uh, Paul Brown. Oh my gosh, I am I am so sorry. That was that was kind of embarrassing. <laughs> so Paul Brown. Now you got a you get a quick history lesson. He's a guy that the Browns are named after, and he then got fired by Art Modell. <laughs> like eventually, he sold. He needed money, sold parts of the team to Art Modell. Art Modell kept buying it, and then eventually fired the guy that created the whole franchise. So he said, "I'll show you." Went down to Cincinnati, started an expansion franchise. So he's the only human being in NFL history that's responsible for basically two franchises: the Cleveland Browns and the Cincinnati Bengals. Well, Paul Brown then had uh, started his tree, and his tree had Sam Weish in it, had uh, Bill Walsh in it. Bill Walsh is his main protege. So it's kind of funny. You've always heard the West Coast offense. The West Coast offense actually started in Cleveland. <laughs> That's okay. It's like nobody says, what? Really? Yeah. It started in Cleveland. Paul Brown was so brilliant. Now I'm rolling. You're just going to have to deal with it. Have you ever heard the term taxi squad? Let me ask you that, Jeff, for your production, because I don't know if, if you know. Have you ever heard the term taxi squad? I've heard the term, but I don't under I don't know where it comes okay. from. Okay, it's not used anymore. They'll they say practice squad. Okay, and everybody's heard of the practice squad, but for a long time, the practice squad was called the taxi squad. The reason why the taxi squad was ever invented, this is one of the greatest football stories you'll ever hear. The taxi squad. The reason why you say that is because there was a roster limit in old school football that Paul Brown hated. He felt like he couldn't practice well enough with so many limited players on his roster. So what he did is he signed more guys than he was allowed to to play football. Guys that he believed could someday play in the NFL. He signed those guys and got them jobs with a local taxi team or with a local taxi company. And said, don't let, don't, they're not going to work for you in these hours of practice, but they'll drive taxis around town in Cleveland in the meantime. So that's how they'll make their money because I'm not allowed to pay them. But then if somebody got hurt on the real team, suddenly a guy stopped driving the taxi and he's now on the Browns. So it sounds hilarious. He just recruited local guys and was just driving a taxi. And imagine the way the media ate up that story. This guy was just driving a taxi. Now he's playing football. Well, the truth was he was recruited to play football and given a job as a taxi driver. So it's a taxi squad. I love stories like that. You know who's the best at those? Man, am I rolling now. I've had all these things. I've been cooped up for a week. Um, Josh Colmenter is the greatest idiom guy ever. Not idiot. Idiom. In which, if you've heard the phrases like, it's raining cats and dogs, the stories he will tell you about every phrase. You know what, Josh, you're coming on. I'm sorry. Uh, Next week, Josh Colmenter, he doesn't even know. I haven't texted him. He has no idea. We're going to talk Diamondbacks, and we're going to talk idioms because he's fantastic. Um, But, okay, now I'm rolling. Another one. Do you know what, uh, Jeff Weir Production, how many times have you heard the term in politics, lobbyist? Numerous times. Okay. Do you know how the phrase lobbyist happened? I do not. This is fantastic. You will love it. So there's a gentleman by the name of Ulysses S. Grant. Okay, go Bobcats. He did not go to Ohio University, but he's from Ohio, so go Bobcats. Um, Ulysses S. Grant decided that he was going to – he went to the Army, had a wonderful tenure in the Army with the uh, Mexican War, and then, you know, he's done. 
and a very poor dude uh, selling wood to people. He'd chop a lot of trees, sell wood, tried to help other people with odd jobs. Uh, he's like a local handyman. Very poor man. Civil War breaks out. He's working in like his, I think it was his brother-in-law's, something political but small, really poor, and decided, you know what? I'm best at the Army, enlisted with the Illinois, and then boom, moves up, becomes uh, the general after McClellan, who, by the way, McClellan was an idiot, one of the worst generals in the history of the United States of America. And, uh, and then Grant takes over, wins the Civil War, becomes the president of the United States. So Ulysses S. Grant may or may not have liked drinking. He was better at alcohol than I've ever dreamed of being. God bless his liver. So he would go to a hotel bar near the White House all the time. People figured out that he kept going there. So what they would do is they would hang out in the lobby of the hotel in order to catch him on his way to the bar and then try to pitch him all of their ideas, complain to him about stuff, or try to get him in cohorts with them for something. And he's like, I'm trying to get away from politics when I go to the bar. And all of these people are trapping me. So he stopped going to the bar. He went six months without going to that hotel bar. Finally, one day he comes back in and the bartender is thrilled to death to see him. Mr. President, it's great to see you. Where have you been? And he says, I just got so damn sick of those lobbyists hanging out all day talking to me. (laughs) And boom, the phrase is formed of everybody that hangs out in the lobby to catch a politician. Now they're a lobbyist. I, I love that story. And it's about beer, even though he didn't really drink that much beer. A little bit of a harder man than I am. All right. Are we, anybody, I got a million of them. If anybody wants a, another story sometime. I like it when I do this, and I feel like I would never listen to somebody else do it. I feel like the biggest hypocrite when I just start rolling on stories because I feel like, does anybody really care? Does anybody really know what time it is? Okay. Uh, anyway, so there's, a, there's the Cardinals offense, or there's the view of the Rams offense from the Cardinals head coach. Now... I hate you, Sean McVay. I hate the Red Hawks, and I hate the school we'll never talk about. There. Yes. that's You started this. I was in a car for six hours. <laughs> Two days ago. Three hours there, three hours back. On a plane, four hours there, four hours back. This is what happens. Maybe I should just get another beer. <laughs> Let's talk about the Rams' defense. They play really fast, really violent, uh, play with really good technique. D-line is really good. Um, the scheme's good. I like their scheme. I think it's multiple enough, keeps you off balance, um, and they play well together. He is – Jonathan Gannon's presser this week was very strange. He's always – it's weird. If he doesn't really love the question or he doesn't see a reason to – Go deep. He'll go. Yeah, like blah blah blah. Yeah, he's fine. And and it's like an eight second answer, and it's hard to really get engaged with him if you're a fan. But I, I still, I still think the dude's going to be an excellent head coach in the NFL. I can't wait to see him. Either a when he goes to another franchise, or if you can believe Michael Bidwell's really going to change, uh, and realizes the error of his ways, builds a new practice facility, and and actually hires a president and 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 shows competency as a businessman oh my gosh 
I mean, the Cardinals are so ripe to explode because I do think they they did. I like Monty Austin Ford's draft. It's one draft, only one. Let's not you know judge forever. But I like his draft. I like his enthusiasm. I like his work ethic, and I love the way Jonathan Gannon leads. So I think they did nail the hires. That's it for uh, JG. Let's get to um, uh, some of the things that Dobbs said this week. So Joshua Dobbs still a starting quarterback. The first one is simple, but I just want to give it to you because it's important. You don't have James Conner. How are we doing now that for four weeks you don't have your primary running back? Yeah, man. Um, obviously, James is a playmaker on offense. and He's been making plays throughout the season. So the young guys are going to have to step up and replace his production. Um, and there will be a collective effort of guys, and we're excited. Obviously not excited to see James go down, but I think um, watching those guys step up, like seeing how Amari stepped up into that role throughout the game, um, was able to make plays first, second down, um, run the ball effectively when he got the ball in his hands. Um, Keontae as well, get, it, get back in there, um, get some more reps. So guys will have to step up at that position. I'm excited how they approach the field today in practice, and they'll be ready to go for Sunday. I, I've, I'm sorry I don't know this. This is very poor broadcasting on me. I don't know whether it's DeMarcado or DeMarcado. I'm going to say Cado, and hopefully I, I got it right. It's DeMarcado. Um, That's oh, the way I heard them say it at the stadium. Well done, Jeff Weir Production. Thank you. Um, you were oh that's right you were at the game weren't you I was yeah. I, I I forgot you're awesome uh, D Mercado is a guy that I think he he did well you know from a if you don't if you allow me to set the bar low and then be surprised he did well I am one that I actually think Ingram is has the talent to be a good back I think I'm going to be either proven wrong or just have to accept being wrong with excuses. One or the other. And the reason why I say that is he wasn't really built well for the horrible, overrated Cliff Kingsbury offense. And now he had a decent preseason, but now he's hurt. And the best ability, here's a funny little line that coaches say the best ability is availability. And he doesn't have it so far in his NFL career. So that's going to eventually get him out of the league if he doesn't start playing more. But I believe in the talent of Ingram. We'll see if it ever actually manifests itself or whether I have to eat it on that one. But can DiMarcado do it when he is the guy? And that's a different step up for him. And now he's got four weeks to do it when people are game planning against him. I like the next two questions. And, uh, you know, really, I should have, I did a poor job relaying this to Jeff Weir Production and, uh, uh, I'm going I'm to always start saying now, is he on sports, Isaiah Jackson, because I want to promote his show from 10 to noon. The next two uh, cuts should be put together, but we're going to separate them because I was dumb and did that myself. The first one is Dobbs talking about what does he see when he's making decisions to run. And he mentions a spy. And then Paul Calvisi asks a follow-up. I'll tell you the follow-up in a second. But here's all the things that are going through the mind of Joshua Dobbs before the legs take over. Uh, I think like uh, that's a lot goes into that, right? Like some plays are, you know, you're designed where you're reading a certain guy, right? A certain element of the field. And so if that element gives you uh, advantageous look to give the ball to the running back based off numbers, you're going to give it to him. If he doesn't, then I'm going to take it and I'm going to run. So um, it just depends on kind of like the play, the looks. There's also some plays where, you know, you get outside the pocket and then depends on how the defense is playing us, right? Like they had a couple spies on some 
um, third downs, and then guys did a great job of getting open downfield to convert. So a lot kind of goes into it based on the play, um, who my read is, like where my eyes are. Um, and so I would say like a lot of times, like before you, when you catch the ball, you, I don't know if I'm going to keep it. I don't know if the running back's going to take it, right? It just depends on the look the defense it gives and then me reading, reacting, and playing ball from there. So, number one, I forgot to set the thermostat when I came in today. I got up to get a water bottle. I came back. There's, there's, I'm like pooling butt sweat right now. It's just awful in this chair. There you go. Deal with it. Yes, I said that. Secondly, I loved just to see the mind working all at once. And I love the follow-up. When, when Paul Calvisi originally asked, can you see, do you, do you know who's always the spy? I thought that was a, sometimes the simplest questions gives you the best answers. Yeah, you can recognize it. It just depends, right? Like sometimes, you know, there's just a guy stand, standing in the middle of the field staring at you, right? Like, you know, like looking like Michael Myers in the middle of the field. You know that that guy probably has you. Um, then, But then sometimes, right, Defensive coordinators are creative. You know, um, they can involve defensive ends and different guys into those looks where their hands are on the ground. And at the snap, they become that element underneath, uh, whether it's spy you or um, cover underneath routes or stuff like that. So it just depends, right? It depends on the look, um, what the defense is kind of throwing at us to kind of combat what we're um, what we, what we're doing. But a lot of times, you're able to still take advantage of those looks with spies. This is one of the greatest conversations I think you can get in with defensive coordinators, really, or even offensive coordinators, and that is the use of the spy. In case you don't know, it's really simple. Your job is not to rush the quarterback. It's to make sure the quarterback doesn't run. So obviously, if he hands the ball off, hey, you're now involved in stopping the run game. But if the quarterback does not hand the ball off, now it's don't rush Stay in lanes. Keep the quarterback in front of you. Keep an eye on the quarterback so if he tries to break containment, it's your responsibility to get him. There are some defensive coordinators that think a spy is the dumbest thing in the world. The reason why they say that is this. If the quarterback's got the ball, right, then you've got 11 guys to cover six of them. There's five guys that he can throw the ball to, and there's him to run. So I've got 11 versus, in a sense, five to cover. I I don't care if he runs. I'm going to stop the pass. And then if he decides, I'll figure it out with my four guys or hopefully guys that can come up. Or you play a zone. When you're playing a zone defense, you're looking at the quarterback and trying to make sure nobody stops in soft spots of the zone. Man to man, you're traveling. If you're, we don't say we say man to man in basketball. You just say man in football. If you're in man coverage, now you're traveling with the receiver. So wherever they go, you're with the receiver. You're not looking at the quarterback anymore. And so if the quarterback runs, you're actually running the wrong way. You're running away from the quarterback while he runs behind you. You got to recognize it, stop, turn around, and go after the quarterback. 
Well, a spy, some defensive coordinators believe all they do is they get caught up in the trash. The trash is a cool term for all of the mess of the offensive line, the routes that are being run, even the umpire being right in there. Unless it's the NFL, the umpire does not stand there. But the umpire in college football and where the umpire should be standing, if the NFL had a clue, but they don't want to admit they were wrong, you put the umpire right there in the middle of the field. All of that trash, it's easy to get caught up in it. And then you lose your own containment. So now you have 10 guys thinking on defense, I've got a spy. I don't have to worry about the quarterback run game. And then the spy gets caught up in the trash. Guess what happens? Now your spy's lost, your quarterback gets out. There's so many theories about that. It's just cool to be quiet and listen. Say, hey, what do you think of a spy? And just let him go for a while. So I, I liked listening to him talk about how he sees uh, a spy. I thought that was really good. Uh, this is a simple one, but I just want you to know because it's kind of personal. He was asked about the production of Michael Wilson being steadily better, 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 and Michael Wilson is is like for for a while was almost trending to be a rookie of the year candidate, and then boom, hit a wall against the Bengals, was just gone. And is there something there? Is it something you need to work on? What can you do against the Rams to get Michael Wilson more involved? I don't, you know, we'll, we'll get back on track. There'll be plays for him and opportunities for him. I wish he had more opportunities on Sunday. That's something I literally texted him after the game. I was like, hey, man, like my first target to you can't be in the fourth quarter just with, as you said, right, the production that he's had, the growth that he's had over the last couple weeks. And so he knows that, man. And he, he had a great attitude about it, which what I love about Mike, man, anything for the team, he still, his effort was still uh, tremendous. He's all over the tape, you know, following the ball, blocking downfield. Um, but as you said, you know, he's become a playmaker in the past game. And my job is quarterback to get the ball in the playmaker's hand. So um, there will be opportunities, right, to get him the football. And when there are, we got to take, take advantage of those. I hate to ask this. Jeff, we production. Have I only played two breaks today? That's it. Oh, my goodness. Um, so that one, I thought that was really good. The reason why that one was important is because he's talking about um, that text. I thought that was a little window into his soul that you might like of he's watching the film. And imagine a fellow employee. Uh, granted, he's not Michael Wilson's boss, but you're the quarterback. You're the leader. Imagine a fellow employee you look up to as leader. After your, your big event you just had, reaching out to you via text and saying, I've got to do a better job finding you, using you. I could have done better there. That's really going to motivate you, I think, to know, hey, I got, a, I got a fan. I got a guy on my team that's rooting for me that knows that I can bring a lot more to the table than what I was utilized for. I think that's great leadership on the part of, of – uh, Joshua Dobbs. That's why I want to play that for you. Okay, the last one, I think I think this was really good. It's always a chance. If you want to know, like, media uh, etiquette, media etiquette, there are no rules for a Super Bowl media day. No rules. No rules at all. You never know what's going to happen. But every other standard press conference is the players are going to be there for anywhere between 5 and 15 minutes. We've got a limited amount of time here. Don't waste our time with gibberish. You want to go into the locker room, talk gibberish with players, write a funny story, go ahead. However, if it's late in the press conference and you kind of hear gaps, there's gaps between when somebody asks a question. Normally, people are stepping on each other to ask questions. But if there's a couple seconds of a gap, between answer and question you kind of know it's winding down but it's not over then it's okay to ask a strange question and Paul Calvisi says I want to go off topic with you if that's all right there were congressional hearings a couple months ago about UFOs 
And with your aeronautics background, I just wanted to know, do you believe in UFOs? I do not believe in UFOs and aliens. It was funny, though. So when I got traded, um, this is a crazy story. I was sitting uh, in my apartment, and so me and uh, my friend Trey Smith, who's um, a really good uh, offensive guard for the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, he's a VFL. We start a little podcast, talk ball, talk about stuff off the field. So he's a believer in UFOs and aliens. I'm not. So we were having a very tense debate uh, for one of our podcast episodes, even to the point where we had uh, Congressman Tim Burchett, because he's from Tennessee. He's a Volfan. We had him on. He's giving us like the inside scoop, like the questions he's asking. And literally an hour into this podcast, I got, that's when I got a call from Andrew Barry. I was getting traded. So I was like, hey, y'all, we're going to have to finish up this conversation a little bit later. So uh, I, got, I still got to get some more uh, information. But no, um, I'm not a believer, man. Um, that will, I'll, I'll save that discussion for another time. But I'm not a believer. Let me clarify, though. At the beginning of the clip, he said VFL. Not everybody knows what VFL is. It's a vol for life. Yeah, that's, that's not what good. that is. That's not good. Everybody needs to know that. Uh, just so you know, because you guys weren't here yet, Trey Smith is a guy I was screaming for the Cardinals to draft and play guard. Would have been a good one. And in fairness to the Cardinals, everybody knew how good he was. But he was diagnosed with some kind of blood condition, and some teams were a little nervous. I looked at it like this. After seeing him play in the, in the Senior Bowl, I went back and watched some Vol games on YouTube and thought, I don't care about your blood condition because even if I only get three years out of you, boom. You know, you're the guy. And the Chiefs said, we're fine, and he's doing great. So then he's a fellow VFL, which I admit I had to look up to know what that meant. And I'm not glad that I looked it up. I wish I didn't know. I am a VFL, if you'd, if you'd like to know. Yeah, I didn't, actually, uh, <laughs> at all, really. <laughs> but I thought that was a hilarious story about UFO. I thought that's fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, if you're wondering where I believe, I actually think there's got to be life. But when I say life, I look at it as like bacteria. Maybe some plant has got a plant. I don't believe in green men and a ship that floats around and steals cows. Okay, I don't, you're not getting me on that. No way. Because here's why I don't think there's actual aliens. How come there's never been a doctor abducted by aliens? Why do aliens only take people from trailer parks? That's what I don't get. And if listen, if you listen to Doug Prowse unplugged in a tra- trailer park, God bless you, of course. But I just, it's, I don't believe it. How come it's always the lowest common denominator that gets abducted? Why, if the aliens really want to learn about us, why wouldn't they take any of our actual, are we that far behind? I guess we are that far behind if they're here and we're not there. And then they say, well, so we, we want to know how to make sure we don't turn into that guy. Don't worry about their science. <laughs> If you believe in God and Bible, how in the world can you believe in aliens? Because remember, at the beginning, like when I was in the fourth grade, they finally allowed Galileo back in the Catholic Church. You say, you know what? You're kind of right. The sun, the earth isn't the middle of the universe. Like remember, religion originally began and said, it's the beginning of the universe. It's only the earth. And everything revolves around the earth. Like, no, it doesn't. I look at it like this. I think if I think God is so great that he could handle like a plant growing on on a, on a on one of Saturn's moons, that's not going to bother it. It's not going to be that big of a deal. That doesn't change how he loves us. It just means there's a plant over there. That's that's why I think like that. Okay, you're you're allowed to 
you know, disagree or or come at me if you want. No, no, no. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need to. I don't. And, and, and so far, the proof is is all on you, Jeff Weber. I mean, so far, you're winning. Okay. In, in, in any discussion about is there a plant somewhere on a Saturn moon, you are winning. But keep in mind of this, in case you forgot, Star Trek is fake. Star Wars is a documentary that actually happened. So, I mean, you've got a point. Yeah, Chewbacca. Yeah, he, Chewbacca lives. Uh, I don't know how we're going to do this. I want to talk Suns, talk to Steve McCollum, and I want to talk to, or and I want to do versus Vegas. I don't know how we're going to do that because here comes a few minutes of commercials. <laughs> I've never had an out like that. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Fast. It's big, it's juicy, it's meaty. Get your burrito at Burrito Express. If you're having a hangover, a bad day, even a good day, still get your burrito at Burrito Express. It will make you feel better. Burrito Express started with my father about... 25 years ago, he got laid off and decided that he needed to do something to provide for his family. My brother and I were older teens, 17, 18 year old. And I'm going to do a trial out of my house. So literally, we decided we're going to start out of his house. So we delivered uh, menus in a square mile area, literally started delivering burritos out of our home in Mesa, Arizona. And after about a month, he said, let's do this. Went and found his first location. And believe it or not, that's how it started. We started with one location back in 1995. Now we're where we are now. Again, thanks to Jeff Weir Production CEO Chris and Izzy on Sports Isaiah Jackson for all of their work to help me this week as I have just been running around like a nut, dropped the ball on a lot of different things, and every time I did, one of those three were there to uh, to pick it up, so very helpful. And then uh, yesterday, Steve, I, I know Steve has his own show to worry about, but if anything would have happened between six to eight, guess what they would have done? Hey, Steve, go save us! And uh, and, he, and he was around to help. So, Steve, thanks for everything, just being kind of uh, on call. How, how was your week? It was good. Yeah, the, uh, I was just sitting here waiting. I was like waiting for uh, you know Doug to drop the ball, and then I was going to have to hop on. <laughs> you never know how quickly. Yeah, but to, uh, to be fair, though, that's every day. They tell me that. Well, good. I'm hey, glad, just I'm be glad. ready just in case Doug does something. Be ready. I've, I've, uh, hey, I've been dragged off air before. So, <laughs> Or uh, there's a famous story of when Jason Whitlock had a meltdown in Kansas City and quit on the air. Yeah. All of a sudden, I got dragged on the air, and I didn't even know what had happened. Like, wait, what? What? The, the, it's yeah. very weird when the uh, market manager comes walking by and says, can you go on air? And I'm thinking, I wonder why Jason Whitlock's yeah, looking but for guests. It's probably better that you didn't know because that took away. It was awkward doing that, but it took yes. away the awkward of being like, how do I follow that up? Yeah, it's like, I, I really said, I don't know what happened. How's everybody doing? <laughs> I really didn't know. And then years later, I found out this shows you what it was like when you have no sources. I was like the only one in town that didn't know this was going to happen. So many oh. people across radio were tuned in because they knew he was going to have this big event. I'm like, I did. I really I had no idea. I still get made fun of a lot. <laughs> that was before friends. social media, where you get heads up or You're somebody very, like yes. hints at something. Yes. Right? So it's yeah. a bit. I, I I read I read something or I saw somebody's Instagram post. Some young 24 year old girl or 15 year old girl. I forgot what it was. 
just ripping life without the internet. Like wondering how anybody yeah, ever how lived survive. without the internet. Yeah. Like she made it seem like that we've lived without a wheel. Yeah. Those of us that have I, that are over 40. I love those like on TikTok, you know, those Gen X videos where like younger kids are like, how did Gen X survive? And then it's like, <laughs> we're the best ones, man, because like we didn't have that stuff and then we got it. Yeah. So it's great. So we kind of can have the two. So we don't have to rely on it as much as like the kids today do. And then, you know, stuff like that. I love those videos. Nissan had a pretty good spot. I don't know if you got to see it from the Heisman house, which was Steve Spurrier yelling <laughs> at to uh, at I think it was Kyler. It was either it was either Kyler or Baker. I think. Uh, I, but yeah, I, I think it was yeah. Kyler in there. And uh, but they were but the phone was ringing. And yeah. I mean, a rotary phone yeah, yeah. was ringing and they're just looking yeah, they at it. it. And then there's Spurrier. <laughs> freaking out about some noise his phone is his cell phone is making so it was a it was a pretty good since you got to be much more in the moment while i was traveling tell me your reaction to the diamondbacks and uh and and really the feeling of the city uh well everybody's super excited i was kind of laughing yesterday as i you know you had 24 hours to come back from it yeah look i mean fantastic you 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 can't be anything but proud about this Diamondbacks team, no matter what happens in this next series against probably the best team in baseball right now, the Phillies, right? Uh, no matter what happens there, you've got to be proud of this team. And the most impressive thing to me that I took away from it is, sure, the bats were hitting. Sure, the bullpen yep. was on fire. Sure, the starting pitching showed up. 100%. But to me, uh, you know, I was kind of joking around yesterday, like, man, we all owe Tori Lovello an apology. Because we, we, we nitpicked him throughout the regular season you know rightfully so by the way i'm not saying we shouldn't have he made some questions but everything he has done in this playoffs has turned to gold mm-hmm. including taking brandon fod out probably too early that ended up working out right mm-hmm. uh and in the regular season that probably wouldn't have worked out if you know the track record yeah, and stuff yeah. like that so you have to give tory lovello just 100 now with um you know i said it when they when they signed um hazen to their his contract extension i said what are they going to do with Tory? Because they only are signing him to one-year deals. He deserves a multi-year extension now, no matter what, this offseason. Yeah. I mean, if they don't do it, it's a, it's a crime of justice. You know, I, I look at it like this, and it's a great point by you. I, you uh, you're, more, you're more boss man than I am. So I don't know if, <laughs> what positions you've been in with all the things that you do business-wise yes. on the side, but I recognize quickly when I get one of those emails that's clearly we're setting you up to be fired. So yes. I, when I get those, I don't return them. I just okay, fine. Well, then I got ripped one time by a boss. I thought it was very disrespectful for you not to return my email when I knew it was just a setup. Yeah, and uh, so I didn't return the email. Well, I look at it like that. When Tory was just when the team was playing horrible, I looked at all the mistakes just like you did, and I hate to say it, I didn't want to fire Tory. Yeah, but I was using it almost as the negative emails of this is building the case for maybe why you're not the man instead of pointing out those flaws and saying, but I believe in Tory. He's going to get it turned around. I well, never finished any of those points with that statement. I, I ain't going to lie to you, man. I had doubts Tory Lovello could get the Diamondbacks to this yeah. level. 100%. And it, it goes back years now, you know? And that was my, that's why I picked the Brewers to beat the Diamondbacks. That's why I picked the Dodgers to pick Diamond. And it was strictly, and I said it on air, Tory Lovello is the question mark in this series. He's going to do something stupid that we're all going to shake her, and he hasn't done it. And yeah. it's amazing to see. So maybe he's stay off, playoff Tory. Woo, baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we're going to call him from now on, Doug. <laughs> Steve McCollum coming up. Versus Vegas. Yee-haw! 
And another, another thanks to Steve McCollum. For those of you that are listening to the audio podcast right now and you're not watching on WTSMTV.com, uh, we start versus Vegas at the same time every day, and Steve is basically kind of hung out to dry because he's ready to go at 740, having no idea what I'm going to be done yapping. That cuts into his time, and he's here every weekday at 8 o'clock. So if you haven't done it yet, do me a favor. Check out Steve McCollum in the main event from 8 to 10 every morning and start moving yourself into becoming a, a member of WTSMTV.com. We've got a lot of information coming very, very soon on different changes that are going to happen and how you can make sure the changes either apply to you or don't apply to you if you don't want them to apply. And I think you'll love the product that much more as we continually grow. And I'd love for you to be a part of of those changes. And thanks to Steve again for uh, adjusting and uh, as he's trying to get ready for his show with Dale Hellestrang, Super Bowl champion, coming up in 10 minutes. All right. Versus Vegas. Had a one-in-one day. Uh, what a weird game last night. I had uh, Chiefs and I had Chiefs minus the 10 and a half. <laughs> they won by 11. So I got that right, 19 to 8. The problem is I had the over. The, uh, the total was at 48 and a half. I don't think it covered when the score was 19 to 8. And by the way, if you didn't see last night's game, oh my gosh. At least he admitted it. You know, when you admit it, I got to say there's room for improvement. People make mistakes. Man, have I done dumb things that I hope people aren't still judging me by. But Sean Payton last night called a timeout in order to punt the ball to the Chiefs. And the Chiefs kicked a field goal. So at the end, near the end of halftime, I forget how much time's left, about 20 seconds, something like that. Sean Payton calls a timeout. A punt. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. Just let the clock run or make the Chiefs call a timeout. He calls a timeout. He braced the Chiefs to stop the clock. The Chiefs want you to punt. Well, he then admitted, I thought it was third down. I was calling timeout to have another third down play. And then he learned it was fourth down and screwed up. He admitted it. I want to give a guy room when you admit it, but man, is that a dumb mistake by a coach. You're a head coach. Super Bowl champion, the level of experience, who ripped Nathaniel Hackett for the worst coaching job done in sports, and you can't count to four? Oh, oh. Sean, it's not going well right now, tough guy. It is not going well. All right, uh, today, I got two games today, one game Sunday. Fresno State is up against Utah State, and they're a four and a half point favorite. I think they easily cover that. I like Fresno State by a lot more than four and a half. So I'll be pretty embarrassed if Utah State wins this game after sticking my neck out. I like Fresno State covering the four and a half. Love Colorado covering the 11 and a half against Stanford. Stanford's traveling short week and they're terrible. Colorado got ripped by Deion Sanders for not doing more against Arizona State. I love this matchup for Colorado. Short week at altitude and angry versus bad and having to travel. No brainer to me. I take the buffs going over the 11 and a half, and then I'll push off till Sunday. You know how I say sometimes I love this pick? And when I say I love this pick, it's like a a different category. Almost like, hey, you should pay for this pick. I would never actually do that. I'm not good enough, but that's what I love. 
I don't love this pick. I'm not going anywhere. This is one of those feelings type of things. And gamblers always say no. It's about analytics. It's about studying. It's about math. You don't just, I feel this is going to happen. I feel this is going to happen. I'm taking the Browns plus the 10 against the 49ers. Every team, no matter how good you are, has a letdown other than the 72 Dolphins. It happens. Cleveland is not good, in my opinion, but they're not terrible. And they fight well. And if Deshaun Watson turns the ball over like crazy, then it's a done deal and I'm an idiot. Okay, I accept that. But the 49ers are great, and they've got to play at at the 10 o'clock in the morning body clock game against a decent team on the road. I think they're right for a letdown. I don't have the courage to say Cleveland wins. Let me cheat for a second. It's plus 400 if you want to believe in the Browns. That basically means bet a buck, win four. That's, I mean, that's incredible. Like, if you're a real gambler, you throw down $1,000 on that game, you walk out with 4000 if the Browns win. All right? No way am I a hard enough core gambler to go with that, to go with that they win. But you give me 10 points when there's always a letdown and the 49ers have had major games lately against major what they thought, and they crushed Dallas, but back-to-back games against teams that people thought were big-time games. And now you drop down to the Browns on the road at 10 in the morning? I I see letdown. I really like the Browns with the 10 points. I don't have the courage to pick the upset, but keep an eye on that game and then make fun of me Monday when the 49ers win by 30. (laughs) That ripped me to shreds because I will deserve it. Uh, Those are my three games for versus Vegas this weekend. That does it for today's version of Doug Franz Unplugged presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. All I can do is say thank you this week. The messages I have received from a lot of you who are generals in the Unplugged Army, wow. Their article, their words that could change somebody's life. The way that you thanked me for my work this week when, without my wife Jennifer, setting so much of the travel up herself, and without the work of CEO Chris, Jeff Weir Production, Izzy on Sports, Isaiah Jackson, and the help of Steve McCollum being there in case, you know, hell broke loose, I couldn't have done any of that. I was there for a friend because I had a lot of support. So thank you to the Unplugged Army for supporting me, my wife, and everybody here at the station for everything that you did. If you didn't know, I got a great uh, tweet from Sweet Lou at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. I thought that was clutch. My rental car was actually paid for by Mikey at Bell's National Kitchen because he wanted to reach out and almost say thanks for the 15 years of Doug and Wolf. I want to I chip in for you to be there for Wolf. I thought that's unbelievable that Bells did that. So please, if you're looking for somewhere to go to lunch this weekend or the Sunday brunch, think about Bells Nashville Kitchen, Burrito Express, seven locations on the east side. Rosati's the official sports bar of Doug Franz Unplugged at Ray and McQueen. And of course, Parker and Sons Heating, Cooling, Plumbing, and Electrical. The main event is up next. I'll see you Monday.